you know, we see public accusations of people hunting illegally or doing something illegally and calling, trying to call somebody out online and whoever's tree stand this is in such and such woods, you're 60 yards from mine, please move it. And yeah, it's legal. It's If it's fair game in public woods, no, there's no law saying you can't put a tree stand up 30 yards behind somebody else, but it's common courtesy. As Boston Bowhunter, we try, we're trying to promote good sportsmanship in between in, in, in the hunting community. We need to kind of advocate for ourselves and each other instead of being in competition with each other. Unfortunately, suburbia in tight hunting grounds leads for a lot of negative interactions. And that's something I think as a society we need to work on as a hunting society. Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 256. Justin Coots and Jacob Bennett, Boston bow hunter. Support for the Big Buck Registry and the Deer Hunt Podcast comes from Hunter's Blend Coffee, defending hunting one cup at a time. Finally, there's a coffee that helps rather than hurts your freedom to hunt. Polar Works Coolers and the Chill Zone, specializing in the most durable, reliable thermal cups and coolers. Keep your drinks hot or cold in any element. Covert Scouting Cameras, remote cameras for hunting, wildlife, and security. Black Ash Outdoor Products, reduce your risk of tree stand suspension trauma with a tree stand wingman, the tree stand emergency descender system. Morse's Sporting Goods, a full line of sporting goods without the sales tax. And Big Buck Merch. You can get cool, high-quality Big Buck t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and hoodies. And show support for this podcast by visiting www.bigbuckregistry.com forward slash M-E-R-C-H. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. This is John Eberhardt. I've been hunting out of a saddle since 1981. I'm about to listen to my favorite podcast, Big Buck Registry, Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm Lee Lukowski. And I'm Tiffany Lukowski. And you're listening to our favorite hunting podcast on iTunes. The Big Buck Registry, Big Buck Podcast. This is Milo Hansen, and you're listening to the Big Buck Registry, the Big Buck Podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, fellow predators. My name is Jay, and thank you for tuning in to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. For Dusty Phillips and Jim Keller and the entire staff here at the Big Buck Registry, welcome to this week's show. There are a couple things I'd like you to do for us if you could. If you would, please check us out on iTunes, subscribe, and leave us a review. With your help, we're going to try and push this show up the iTunes charts. I know we have a lot of listeners out there, and I need you to take some action. I need you to leave a review and subscribe to the show. If you do subscribe, that'll give you access and notification each and every week that a new show is released. You can also access this show in its entirety on YouTube, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, and as an Amazon Alexa skill. Go to Alexa and say, Alexa, enable Big Buck Registry. It's all right there for you to access on demand at your fingertips. Regarding the harness program, we have an ample supply of harnesses to give away from our volunteer donors. If you're in need of a full-body harness, please send an email to j at bigbuckregistry.com. As Longfellow wrote in his infamous poem, Paul Revere's Ride, One If by Land, Two If by Sea, describing the Redcoats' travel plans from Boston to Concord, 
We can almost re-envision this today as a description of hunting and fishing in the modern world. One whitetail by land, two stripers by sea. Now it's the hunt, and perhaps a new fight for freedom, that is conducted in the suburbs of Boston, where the American Revolution began. According to Justin Coots and Jacob Bennett, members of a fairly new band of bowhunting patriots called Boston Bowhunter, it's darn good hunting in and around Boston. We discuss how Justin, a fairly new hunter, and Jacob, a seasoned deer hunter, plan their hunts in and around the suburbs of Boston, Massachusetts, and why they founded the Boston Bowhunter Group. We'll get to our interview with Jacob and Justin in just one moment, but before we do, let's hear from our friends at Polar Works Coolers and Jim Keller with the Deer News. I always wanted one of those high-end coolers because of the quality that I had heard of, but I couldn't justify the price. Then I found Polar Works. Finally, I found a company that understands quality and affordability. The Polar Works lineup is extensive and is filled with polar cups, polar tubs, and polar soft coolers. So check out PolarWorks.com when you're considering your next high-quality cooler without breaking the bank. That's www.polarworkz.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Our first story this week, Dog Brings Home Rare Two-Headed Deer in North Dakota. This story is from the Care Channel 11 website and was reported by Marissa DeCandido. A dog in rural Mandan, North Dakota, recently brought home an unexpected find, a two-headed white-tailed deer fetus. Back in April, a white-tailed doe was hit and killed by a vehicle on North Dakota Highway 1806, the North Dakota Game and Fish Department posted on its Facebook page on July 5th. The dog apparently found the unborn fawn nearby and decided to bring it back home. The dog's owner then turned over the fetus to the Game and Fish biologist. This is only the fourth documented two-headed white-tailed deer reported since 1761, according to Game and Fish. Deer, seemingly unafraid of humans, are attacking dogs. One dead. This story is from the fox6news.com website. If you take a stroll down a particular golf cart path in southeast Peachtree City, Georgia, you're likely to see deer that won't run away from you. Carolyn Taylor shot cell phone video of a deer that seemed unafraid of her while she walked the path with her dog. Her mother, Susie Luxko, described what happened moments after she stopped recording. All of a sudden, the deer started chasing them. My daughter took off running really fast, and the deer just trampled on her little basset hound, said Lusco. It was a close call for Taylor's dog, but things turned out much worse for a beagle named Scratch, whose owner, Hunter Wood, said his dog was on in the confines of her backyard when a doe jumped the fence and attacked. She was immediately onto the dog. She stomped it and cut its head open, she said Wood. The dog was injured so badly she had to be euthanized. Several videos have been posted to YouTube from other parts of the country in years past showing mother deer going after dog in similar ways. Christy Daniels has done a survey of vets in the Peachtree City area and discovered there have been at least a dozen similar attacks this summer alone. Meanwhile, Wood said he thinks humans are to blame for creating an unnatural situation. Wood said he believes the deer is mistaking dogs for coyotes, their natural predator, and the only reason we don't see more dogs attacked like this is because deer usually don't want to be very close to a dog's human owners. In this specific neighborhood, the deer have been trained out of their fear. Wood says he isn't ruling out that maybe his dog was killed as revenge for the well over 100 deer he's taken through his hunting career. Wisconsin reports first ever Rocky Mountain spotted fever death. This story is from the foxnews.com website and was reported by Carolyn Juddelson. 
Health officials in Wisconsin are urging residents to take precautions after the state reported its first ever death linked to Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Officials did not name the victim, but described her as a woman in her late 50s who was bit by a tick while camping in early May. The woman was reportedly diagnosed with a tick-borne illness in mid-June and died shortly after. Rocky Mountain spotted fever is most commonly transmitted by dog ticks, which live in more open areas like abandoned fields or prairies. It most commonly strikes in the central and southeast regions of the U.S. Most tick-borne diseases in Wisconsin are transmitted by black-legged ticks, also called deer ticks, which live in wooded, brushy areas. Symptoms of Rocky Mountain spotted fever include fever, rash, nausea, headache, and stomach pain, and if untreated, can worsen and possibly lead to death. The Department of Health also offered tips to stay safe, such as using insect repellent, staying on trails, and avoiding walking through vegetation, wearing long sleeves and long pants, and taking a shower immediately after time outdoors. Gang of rhino poachers mauled to death by pride of lions after breaking into game reserve. This story is from the foxnews.com website and was reported by Chris Irvine. At least three suspected rhino poachers have been killed by a pride of lions after they broke into a game reserve in South Africa. Rangers discovered the human remains around 4.30 p.m. local time on July 3rd in the immediate vicinity of the lion's territory at the Sibuya Game Reserve in Kenton-on-Sea in the Eastern Cape more than 24 hours after an anti-poaching dog alerted her handler that something was amiss. The ranger, however, did not examine the disturbance because it was not unusual to hear the lions at night. When members of the anti-poaching unit investigated, they recovered human remains, a high-powered rifle with a silencer, wire cutters, an axe, and three pairs of shoes. Nick Fox, the park's owner, said the lions were shot with tranquilizer darts at first light, so police forensics teams and the anti-poaching unit could comb the area for clues and admitted it was not clear how many poachers may have been killed. The only body part we found was one skull and one bit of a pelvis. Everything else was completely gone, he told Newsweek. There is so little left that they don't know exactly how many people were killed. We suspect three because we found the three sets of shoes and three sets of gloves. He added, they came heavily armed with hunting rifles and axes, which we have recovered, and enough food to last them for several days, so we suspect they were after all of our rhinos here. But the lions are our watchers and guardians, and they picked the wrong pride and became a meal. Police spokeswoman Captain Mali Govender said, We don't know the identities, but firearms have been taken by the police and will be sent to the ballistic laboratory to see if they have been used in poaching before. In 2016, the reserve saw three of its rhinos shot dead by poachers who broke into the reserve to cut off their horns. All books with the reserve include an option rhino levy where the proceeds are donated to a fund fighting poaching. Nine rhinos have been killed by poachers in Eastern Cape Province this year, according to South Africa's Times. The reserve is one of the most popular game reserves in the Eastern Cape and is home to Africa's Big Five, elephants, buffaloes, and leopards, as well as rhinos and lions. That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registry's Deer News. Special thanks to Daniel Applebaum for leads on some of the stories this week. For links to the stories featured this week, please check our show notes at www.bigbuckregistry.com. If you have any ideas for future topics or have questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Thanks to Jim Keller for the Deer News. Without further ado, here's Justin Coots and Jacob Bennett from Boston Bowhunter. Justin and Jake, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. How are you, my friends? Doing good today, man. How about you? Are you guys thinking deer hunting at this time of year? Uh, I'm starting to. 
No, no. Well, thinking about it, I've got elk coming up at the end of August. Okay. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking bugles and water holes. But uh, in the way, in the back of my mind, yeah, deer on deck. Okay. So you guys have this this group online called Boston Bowhunter, and it's gotten some traction. It's gotten some followers. Um, before we get into that, can you just let's go a, a little bit behind the scenes here? Who are you guys? Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? How'd you get into hunting in, in, in itself? Justin, you go first. Sure. Um, so I'm originally from Franklin, Mass. Pretty much born and raised, graduated from there. Um, spent, grew up, you know, fishing, doing a lot of outdoor stuff with my family. I didn't get into hunting until later on in life, probably when I hit about 22, 23. So back in, I'm going to say 2011, I really started to peak an interest in it. And uh, from there, I just started to, you know, try to reach out and figure out what I had to do to get involved and I guess to, you know, try and kill my first deer. Gotcha. Very cool. How about you, Jake? Um, I grew up in uh, upstate New York, um, not city New York. I grew up, I was born in the Adirondacks in the, in the big hills. And yeah. um, uh, I think when I was about one and a half, Two years old, my parents moved to Cooperstown, New York, which is still upstate. Grew up on a basically grew up into a family of hunters. Really, my uncles, my grandfather, my great grandfather, my father, been actively like hunting and spending time in my you know my I saw my first deer get shot when I was six years old, laying across a Beaver Fall poplar uh, on Thanksgiving with my dad. And, like back then, it was smooth bore pumps <laughs> and uh, and red black plaid jackets. About gosh, I'd say. 13, 14 years ago, I moved to uh, to Boston, actually, uh, uh, with my wife. Uh, she's from the outside the area, and I've been living here ever since. Gotcha. Very nice. So, Justin, you are a native of Massachusetts. You grew up there. and Did you have any mentors or hunting inspirations? I wouldn't say growing up I had those. I, you know, I do have a couple of people in my family that hunted. My dad wasn't a hunter. Uh, he was a fisherman, and sure. we got a bunch of fishermen in my family. My uncle was a bow hunter. Uh, he lived up in New Hampshire for a while and then he came down south and moved to Westbridgewater, Mass. And, you know, I know he continued selling what he did down there. And now he owns a tackle shop down in the Cape. But as for mentors and inspiration, uh, I really didn't have a, I guess, a whole lot of inspiration. You know, I, I didn't know much about it when I first got involved in it. And I had a few friends growing up and they're, you know, just like Jake grew up doing it with their fathers and, you know, their whole family. And I tried to, pick their brains and spend time with them to figure out what I could do to be able to get out into the woods and, uh, you know, harvest a deer. Um, as for mentors, uh, you know, I, I have a, my whole situation with hunting was very, um, it wasn't like Jake's, you know, I didn't have people to talk to, you know, so when I first started out, I was pretty much skimming through field and stream magazines and yeah. apply those methods to, you know, to learn hunting, to get out and be, be able to har- successfully harvest a deer. Um, you know, as you know, or may not know, some of the tactics that are in most of those magazines, in my opinion, apply to most of the, uh, the Midwest and not so much like the urban and suburban hunting, uh, you know, areas we have around here. So right. it, didn't, it wasn't necessarily great for me i didn't always have a crp field to sit on the edge of and, you know wait for, <laughs> right, uh, right. sit through the cornfields so i had to figure out a way to learn more and to find ways and tactics and techniques to be able to apply that to one of the precipices on why i started boston bow hunter was basically to get more information and to just learn you know yeah. I, 
Makes sense. Did where was your curiosity coming from in the beginning? You said that you were 22 when you first started getting into this. You know, I had been a fisherman my whole life, and I'm actually a network engineer by trade. So I spend a lot of time indoors at a computer around technology, and I've been over the years getting. I guess overwhelmed by the stress that technology induces on people. Yep. And I was looking for more ways to be able to get outdoors and try to connect them more on the spiritual side to mother nature. And hmm. I had that, you know, fishing is always something you can do. And I didn't do much ice fishing, but I needed something to do in the winter during all those lulls. And I had always, you know, skimmed across Facebook posts from my friends who were hunters during that time. And I said, man, it would be really cool to be able to, you know, get involved and do something like that and to be able to, you know, I didn't mind putting in the hard work. Little did I know how much work actually went into, you know, bow hunting in general. Uh, Jake, you came from New York. You're in the Adirondacks growing up, learning about how all, all the hunting aspects, I mean, you're definitely into the outdoors. The Adirondacks is no joke. Um, it's pretty hardcore hunting areas. Um, what, where, where did your curiosity come from, and was there anybody in particular that you really honed in on to teach you the outdoors? Like most kids, I wanted to be like my father and my grandfather. I wanted to be one of the guys that could legally able to. I would go and do drives and sit with them every day I could. Um, and I learned a lot. I mean, like most guys, you know, I really looked up to my father. And my father come from uh, a hunting family out of, you know, like Utica, New York, where um, – a lot of the guys back then only they, they gun hunted and they gun hunted in groups and it was a day you know, they they bring food and they'd cook out and then they they do a few drives and somebody would unload their gun at a running half horn spike horn at 300 yards and today was a good day you know so my father and I both kind of cut our teeth at the same time when I became 12 and legally was able to bow hunt New York we kind of both got into it and taught and at that time when I was able to legally uh, turkey hunt. Actually, I think I was 13 for bow hunting at, at the age of 12. My father and I both learned the ropes of turkey hunting. So we kind of went to school uh, at the same time for that aspect. But we both, um, I remember really looking up to uh, Charles Alzheimer and reading a lot of his writings. Right. Um, and the Benoits, uh, you know, the big woods bucks of the Benoits and how they chased uh, the giant Maine bucks and Vermont bucks. Uh, I remember just love watching their videos and, uh, and reading their books. So a lot of my my influence of, of, of hunting came from those, but also from my father. I mean, he was a big deal as far as that goes. And my friends, like my best friend hunted. And, and I'm, I'm, it's strange to say to somebody who doesn't hunt, who doesn't get it, but the memories you make in the woods with someone you care about last forever. It's a strange thing to say. It's, it's, if you don't hunt, I try to explain to my wife, and it's a hard concept for them to grasp, that having a successful hunt or sharing a memory with somebody you care about in the woods is unlike anything else you'll ever you'll ever you'll ever experience so you know every time i go in the woods i'm trying to to go out and make a memory you know and uh it's it's something i learned from my father yep gotcha so justin now that you got into hunting at a later in life compared to like some guys get into when they're just kids their their parents or hunters or whatever are you are you able to find that spiritual side of what you were looking for um through hunting now I would say yes. Um, it was difficult at first when I first started doing it. You know, you, you go out there, you pick a spot to hunt, but didn't do much homework and, you know, sat there and I'm like, wow, this is, uh, this is kind of boring, you know, <laughs> right. just trying to get into it. And it wasn't probably until 
I was able to get in contact with some of my good hunting buddies and really start to pick up some good tips to them and, you know, trying to do some, you know, homework and being alert while you're out there. And, you know, it's not just sitting there. Like, you know, it is sitting there, but you're doing, you know, you're actively looking and scanning and trying to, you know, see what's going on in the woods. You know, as you know, you, you get out there early in the morning, you're waking up in the morning and with the woods and you're seeing everything that's going on. You see the whole woods come alive. It's, it's a pretty, uh, I guess, spiritual thing if you think of it like that. Um, I didn't really have things click for me until I started Boston Bow Hunter. You know, it was... Uh, it wasn't ever planned. There was, it was more of, I was scanning groups on Facebook and trying to find good information. And the problem with that is, you know, hunters can be very secretive and some, not all, and they could be very, uh, I guess you could say rude at some times, you know, I would sure. ask a question in it, you know, any of these Facebook pages and get chastised for it and they'd say, Oh, that's a stupid question. You know, I'm just here trying to learn we all started at some point you know and i was just trying to get as much information as i could but it was hard to get that when there was a lot of guys just putting me down so i got to the point where i had kind of had enough and i said all right well i'm just going to start my own group and when i did that I just started adding a couple of guys i've been talking to and you know from there i wanted to make sure i set the stage where if you don't, you shouldn't feel bad to ask a question. You should be encouraged to do it. You know, everyone starts somewhere and you should feel comfortable to do something like that without being chastised and put down. So that was the tone that I wanted to set early on with starting this group. And I think from there, one of the biggest aspects of our growth was all these newcomers that were joining, whether it be women, children, you know, veterans, or just regular, you know, hunters who've been doing it their whole life. They want to feel comfortable with having, you know, being able to ask questions and to, you know, do certain things without being put down. Right. So obviously what we're doing is, you know, paid off. And it was, you know, I had the vision and the dream, but it was, uh, it, it takes a lot of people to do stuff like this. You know, I have Jake, who's been, you know, one of my right-hand men. He's, he's really done a lot. He won't talk about it. Jake's a pretty humble dude, but Jake's done a lot. He won't tell you about all the people that he takes out into the woods, turkey hunting, getting their first turkeys and, he won't tell you about all the, you know, the advice that he gives online to people. And so I'll do that for him. And we have guys like Ray Isles, who has been, you know, he's like the uh, the unofficial, you know, godfather, we call him, of Boston Bowhunter. You know, he's been doing it for over 30 years. And he's a, uh, you know, he's just a down-to-earth guy. And he's always willing to put people on stands and give good advice. And he's just a, he, you know, he just puts people uh, in the right mindset to be able to do something like this and, and encourages them. And, He's a, uh, you know, he's another guy who, you know, isn't with us today, but I feel like it was needed to be able to bring his name up and let you guys know that Ray is, uh, you know, Ray's a stand-up guy, and I'm sure you'll be able to talk with him in the future about this stuff. Gotcha. Very good. So do you, I mean, you're both living in and around Boston now, right? Yes. And is that, is that kind of where the Boston name came from? Because you, you live there, and, and does that lead into hunting in... Because anywhere east of New York... Is Boston? It's Red Sox. It's Red Sox fans, basically. That's Otherwise, right. you get you get flogged. I grew up in New York, but we didn't have we had satellite. Like we're talking. Remember, like those big dish TVs? Yeah. <laughs> we had this giant dish TV that you'd have to use this arrow to move to find a satellite. Looks like a flying saucer. Yeah. Yeah. So the only sports channel we got growing up for me was uh, Nesson, <laughs> and so I grew up being a giant fan of like Mo Vaughn and Mike Greenwell, like Carlton Fisk, like all those guys. So I I've been a Boston fan. 
never been a Yankees fan. I've always been a Mets and, and Red Sox fan. Whew, and my, my boys back in, in New York will probably smack the crap out of me next time I see them for saying that. <laughs> it's it's basically let's let's be honest. You know, it's title town. Boston is the hub of the Northeast kind of everybody knows. Everybody's got a familiar accent around here. Uh I mean I, I maybe I covered it. Justin could probably answer that question a little bit better. Yeah, I mean Boston is a you know, pretty Boston and New York, they're both Mecca's for sports. So it's the name I don't know. I just literally came up with it within like 30 seconds. It was a catchy name and it just kind of took and I said, all right, I'll just try this out. And it sounds a little bit better than Worcester bow hunter. <laughs> yeah. I think Boston encompasses, you know, like you said, the whole sports kind of theme. And it's something that people who are from the new England area can relate to because that's the title of a lot of our sports teams. Gotcha. Do you end up hunting in suburban settings i mean I, when i think of boston bow hunter i think oh wow these guys are hunting like on city limits is that the case or is it is it more massachusetts based well uh to be honest it's strange each town in massachusetts has their own separate bylaws of what you can hunt you know what you can hunt with and if you can even hunt um it's it's yeah, there's a lot of suburban hunting going on, and it's a different uh, aspect. I I learned how to hunt suburban bucks from a guy uh, who lived here his whole life and had it pretty much figured out and killed giants. Um, but uh, as an example, it's it's strange. I think you know I'm not. I, I mean, I've been very uh, I've been blessed to have some pretty good success in the last uh, decade or so. But what you learn and how how suburban animals act, you can totally apply and relate to big woods bucks and that's been the case for me ever since i've learned how to try and target uh suburban bucks and learn their their movement patterns and their behaviors i've applied it when i go back to new york and i've had twice the success um you know turkey hunting in new york this year is not easy last few years is not easy and i mean i've got thousand acres i can hunt and i shot the first day i was back in new york i shot a tom 200 yards from my neighbor's door right i have permission to do so right but you know um it's it's strange how you know I I leave suburbia to go hunt these big woods turkeys and I shoot a long beard two hundred yards from my neighbor's step right you know uh, so it's all applicable um, but yeah a lot of the uh, hunting around here is suburban and it leads to some problems um, there needs to be a little bit more uh, respect and understanding and uh, mutual uh, camaraderie around hunters if you're hunting a suburban area because you only have a certain amount of acreage to hunt for a handful of people. And that's kind of the, what, what I envision a lot of the time being in New Hampshire, being able to roam wherever I want, uh, you know, short of a posted sign, uh, being able to carry a firearm wherever I want. I think of Boston, I think of Massachusetts, uh, I think about the gun laws in Massachusetts. I think about it being <laughs> akin to New Jersey in a lot of ways where there's this very tight gun control. So you almost have to turn to a bow uh, to hunt anything there. And then I think about just the general attitude that you would find in Massachusetts about hunting and being around a liberal <coughs> core for the most part, where you, you know, you just, and these are stereotypes for in general, but that you think, well, everybody must be an anti, everybody must hate guns and that, that you can't hunt down there at all. And that there's no, no access. That's the, that's the, I think the overall stigma that you get, and I know that's not the case because you guys are, are breaking the mold here, but how, what's that feeling down there being an insider in Massachusetts, trying to hunt in Massachusetts? Um, you guys are in the thick of it. What's it like? Um, I think that there is a, a lot of support for it, but I think with all the politics that's, you know, on 
social media these days, a lot of people are actually afraid to come out and talk about it because of the fear of getting, you know, put down about it and say, you're wrong about this and that. So a lot of people just keep quiet about it and, re, you know, read up on it in the background. Um, I think it's definitely growing, but it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of time. But, you know, with what we're doing with Boston Bowhunter, um, we have, I guess, somewhat broken the mold. But, you know, it's um, it's just a, it's something that you got to work at every single day. Yeah. You know, it's not going to happen overnight. But as long as we keep doing things and putting – uh, you know, the women first, the children first and the veterans first, uh, you know, we're eventually going to make some waves and people are going to notice. And hopefully those are the right people to, you know, help us and to continue with the vision of making it grow. Do you, do you end up doing any of the, um, you know, I guess there's some, some parks down and around you that open up hunting to, to population control, I guess. What? When you explain that to, to some, I don't know, maybe, maybe you do just keep it quiet. Like you said, you just like kind of keep your, this hobby, the, 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 something that you love to do. Do you just kind of like not even bring it up at a cocktail party or is, how does that go? Every time I ever go to any social type of uh, <laughs> meeting, somehow it always just happens to pop up that I'm a hunter. Whether it be for my own uh, device, which my wife absolutely loves, or the topic of Lyme disease, or hey, I saw a coyote, or... Oh, I saw a fawn. Something like it, it always happens to come up. Um, and I met with both. And you just, you know, the thing is, is coming from, you know, country town and moving here, I, I try to be as respectful as I can and understand everybody's point of view. People who are anti-hunting, that's probably because they didn't grow up with it. And they have a reason for being anti-hunting. I just don't ram it down their face. Um, simple facts and statements and understanding of their beliefs usually go a long way. Uh, I find people who are usually anti-hunting aren't so much or are not so negative to me when they find out that that's how I feed my family red meat for 12 months. Right. Um, the fact that you're an anti-hunter until you get Lyme disease or your Mercedes gets smacked by a big buck. You know, it's there. Lack of information leads to fear, uh, the non-hunting community. Um, but there are quite a few people like I, I work, um, uh, at a hospital and there's a couple people who hunt there, but the, the doctors absolutely love when I am in Venice right. and, uh, you know, and they've got family members who own woods and want me to go hunt and shoot deer and bring it back for them so they can have venison. You know, when you go to Wegmans and it's 30, $36 a pound for venison, uh, Justin, there's a button on the side of your phone that makes I just, it vibrate. Feel free to use that at any time, bro. <laughs> all right. Done. All done. Well, well done. Well done. <laughs> so it, it sounds like there are big rewards and some challenges that you have to overcome trying to hunt. And we, we've done suburban shows in other parts of the country. We've never come to the Northeast to do a suburban type show um, until I became aware of your group. I mean, that's that's when I kind of it dawned on me, hey, you know, there are hunters in and around Massachusetts, um, specifically, you know, east of Worcester, and that there are people that are hunting suburban areas in and around Boston. And I think that's fantastic. I love that, that you're, you've opened that up and that you can, you're, you're pushing that boundary and starting to get into yeah. people's general conversation. I think that's only good for us as hunters and good for all of Massachusetts kind of opening up a, a, a more of a tolerance of it where I always had this vision of all hunting in Massachusetts was done West of Worcester for the most part, but I, I you're making, you're breaking ground here, and I think that's really, really good. Right. Well, and 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 to be honest with you, there it's any kind of suburbia. I mean, there are giant bucks being killed in the suburbs of Worcester, Salem, 
you know, so any any big you know city in in the difference in Massachusetts, the that is different uh, in, than most states in the fact that almost every single town in Massachusetts has a hundred or hundreds of acres that are close to hunting or for hiking. Where that's you know how when people have uh, giant let's say QDMA parcel to hunt a lease they always you know people who are doing it properly set aside a number of acres that is an unpressured area it's their respite well whether they know it or not massachusetts has set that up in almost every single town in the state um and so i mean that's beneficial as well but there you know people are starting to learn that it is available i mean but then again there are also there's giant bucks being killed in southern new hampshire right now sure monsters monsters uh it's all if you want to, they're there. If you want to put the work in either big woods or suburbia, they're there. Right. Man, I'm still trying to find them. It's tough, man. It's tough out here for a, for a, uh, an amateur, but it is what it is. You know, I, I keep learning every year and I got, I have some of the best resources in probably New England to, you know, to, uh, school from, whether it's Jake Bennett, uh, John Petrick, Ray Isles, uh, you know, Jim Lavasser. There are just, there are so many good guys in this group that have been able to help me in regards to hunting. And I think one of the best things too about the group, is it's not just hunting. You know, I know we had the name Boston Bowhunter, but it's, it's everything for outdoorsmen. You know, it's, it's hunting, it's hiking, it's fishing, it's camping. It's, you know, it's, it's everything that encompasses what the outdoors really is. So it, it really helps us in regards to giving more people a reason to join and want to be a part of it, knowing that, you know, you don't have to be a hunter to be in it. You know, if you're really into fishing, then great. Then this is going to be a perfect place for you to be able to, you know, get advice, give advice, um, you know, to find out new spots. And it, that's, it's great. You know, people are sharing some of their secret spots now, you know, we don't, they don't go too far into it, but they're helping people out and getting people on big fish and getting on big, you know, big game. It's, it's, um, it's great. It's, it's all about community. If we can keep this ball rolling, then, you know, maybe we can, uh, you know, make this a legacy for us to leave someday for our children. Nice. And, and I mean, and, and make no, make, make, make no mistake. Um, there is a lot of adversity, uh, to hunting suburbia in the Boston area, New England. And unfortunately, uh, it's we're, we're our own worst enemy. I mean, hunters hate each other. We cheat each other like crap. Um, and that's something that we're trying to, uh, this bowhunter. And don't get me wrong. Boston bowhunter has its share of haters. There are people who don't like, uh, asking, you know, or you know, posting pictures of giant bucks that they've got trail camera photos of. There's 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 a group of people who don't really like the social media aspect of it, and uh, yeah, social media can be uh, positive evil in the hunting community, but you know, I think Boston Bowhunter is going about the right way and trying to bring together uh, people with common interests and common beliefs and goals, um, and give us a a hangout. Yeah, makes sense. Place where such thing is a dumb question. We might we might make fun of you for it a little bit, but it's all in good fun. I mean. Oh, man, I get made fun Boston of every day. Boston on a daily basis. <laughs> so I really player. do. I'm like a target. I'm public enemy number one in that group. Well, if you were, if you weren't so vocal about your obsession with chocolate crawlers, then it wouldn't be so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting, Justin, is that you, you had the audacity to put yourself out there. I mean, you, you've kind of exposed yourself to a pretty hard group, right? I mean, this is... Hunters in general, um, although they help each other, you, you do go through what I think is a an induction ceremony of sorts, and that you're you will be part of the group, but you are going to uh, be subject to it. some some Absolutely. baptism, right? It's, 
I think that's one of the best things about there's a lot of razzing that goes on, but you know, it's all friendly. I've met a ton of these guys in person now. I spent time with them, you know, doing outdoors and type things. And it's, uh, it's all just in good fun, you know, and I, I understand that. I don't take anything personally. And, uh, I personally, you know, I enjoy it. If I can give these guys a good laugh for a couple minutes, I don't mind if it's at my expense, you know, I don't, it keeps the group alive. And especially during the, uh, the off season, you know, there's, we try to keep things going with whether it's turkey hunting, you know, spring fishing down at the canal on the Cape. And then, you know, leading up to that, we have, uh, you know, hunting. Then after hunting, there's shed hunting. But, you know, there's always going to be lulls and everything, too. So it's good to be able to keep these, uh, you know, keep the group and the momentum going. And the more people we have in the group and, you know, posting, um, you know, just stuff, the more, the better it is, the more fun it is for everybody. Right. So let's get into some hunting strategies and techniques. I mean, how, how do you hunt? I mean, and I know you're not just hunting Boston. You're hunting in areas in eastern mass for the most part and maybe you, you travel beyond that i know jake you said you go to new york but purely hunting in in massachusetts how do you how do you start like where, where are you hunting what type of terrain and, and what techniques are you using that's that might be more or less specific or unique to that part of the country well nothing really changes the, 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 in my opinion um and i'm not a professional by any means uh the the aspect of deer knowledge does not change. You still need to be able to interpret deer sign to be successful. Um, you know, I, people who ask me certain questions, I, I think it's important to set goals for yourself and set attainable goals for yourself, whether you're a new hunter or not. And I believe it was Charles Alshimer who um, <clears throat> had the, the ongoing growth of a deer hunter. I think it was him that uh, was basically, you know, when you first start hunting, you just want to shoot a deer. And then you want to shoot a buck. And then you want to shoot as many deer as possible. Then you want to shoot a big buck. And then you want to start getting people to teaching people how to shoot deer. You know what I mean? Um, It's the same process doesn't change whether you're big woods deer hunter, small woods deer hunter, interpret deer sign, uh, knowing, reading body language of deer. um, That doesn't change. That's all the same. You know, the the best teacher for that is going out and doing it and watching it yourself. Um, so to get started myself, um, I, you know, I utilize trail cameras. Uh, I look a lot at deer track because a lot of the areas around here have, you know, sandy based um, soil. So you can get a good deer print off of that. You can usually, you know, it's something I learned from the Benoits when reading their books, learning the, the food sources, the preferred food sources, bedding areas, funnels. And the one thing that people can use uh, suburban landscape for is pinch points, funnel areas. You can use these things to your advantage. Uh, the big, the big, hassle with hunting suburbia is that sometimes you have like two acres you can hunt and after that sorry there's nothing you can do there's no hunting uh, outside of there but you can use the lay of the land to your advantage deer don't fly they don't they can't disappear they're there somewhere right um you just got to put the ground under your feet find them um and be there when they're out in the daylight I, i'm i'm not i'm a i'm not a huge advocate for nocturnal movement i don't think it really exists i think they just move less or they tighten up their, their core area or they move in a different area. Uh, Justin, what's your experience? I mean, as far as you know, knocking on doors, getting permission, um, are, are you just traveling with some of the guys from Boston Bowhunter to make it happen or are you getting your own spots? Uh, for the most part, I'm getting my own spots. I, I've kind of fallen into a tradition, Avery, stop. I've kind of fallen into a tradition of going out to deer camp every year out west in, uh, in Peru, Mass, pretty much like on the New York state line and, uh, my friend's father, he's been hunting for his whole life. So they got like probably 20 or 30, you know, 12 to 15 foot wooden stands that we hang out in. And uh, they get it, you know, they have a nice cabin that they built themselves up there. And 
they go black bear hunting out there and you know there's 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 certainly deer and bobcat and moose out there so there's plenty of wildlife to uh you know to look at as for knocking on doors uh, I've done it a few times. I've been successful, and then I've been unsuccessful more than not. So it's uh, it's tough. I actually just moved to a new spot. I'm down over in Cumberland, Rhode Island, which is right over the Mass State line. And Jake's already been on me, telling me to knock on some doors and you know get some places to uh, to get some access to. So I got to start uh, now that I'm settled into the new place. I got to start working on that and. Got you know we got a little bit of time, but it's it's not it's not a uh, it's not easy. You know, some, a lot of people are still turned off by the idea of you coming onto their property and killing an animal. Let's put it as that. So it's something you kind of have to massage the way you talk to them and make you know present it as a you know a positive thing that you're doing for them. Like whether it's going to a farmer's place that has a bunch of uh, you know corn or an apple farm saying look i'm gonna help get rid of the pests that's eating your crops it helps put food on your family's table for example right so it's a uh it's kind of a i guess it's it's a hit or miss but you really you're not gonna know unless you get out there and and try so i have i definitely got my work cut out for me this year gotcha i mean, yeah, I mean moving to a new spot i mean that, that has its own challenges right and that's that's not easy to do but i know that area that you're in i mean that's it seems like any of that that uh, south of Boston, there's some nice land out there, right? Oh, there's there's definitely a lot of nice land, and there's still plenty of towns down here, like Franklin, Bellingham, Rentham area, Foxborough, that you know allow you to you know hunt. There's not really any. Uh, I know that you can do muzzleloader, and sometimes you can't do shotgun, but pretty much you're allowed to discharge a uh, you know an arrow and you know, go bow hunting without having any issues. Um, you know, some towns that are surrounding it, like Norfolk, I believe, and like Norwood, you're going to need, uh, you know, like written permission to even think about doing anything like that. Right. They're definitely out there. I mean, you can go deep in the woods, you're going to find them. Then you can go probably 50 to 100 yards off a trail, if that. And they're, I mean, they're around there. There's, we're in the suburbs, and they're pretty comfortable with, uh, you know, with, with people. So it's. Uh, that's the biggest misnomer is that people are like, well, you're shooting suburban deer. No, that's not it at all. Yes, they, people walking in certain ways and people hiking walk a certain way. For some reason, you step in the woods with a camel or a backpack on, no. It's, it's, it's a different mentality, but they're by far different from pet deer. That's, <clears throat> that. I mean, yeah, to that point, Justin, you are correct that they're used to hikers and whatnot, but as soon as you uh, try to hunt them, good luck. And when you're hunting in a suburban area, you say you say you bump them, you know, out of the court, you won't see them for weeks. I mean, the thing is, you're, say you're hunting a postage stamp and there's 100 acres across the road. Well, guess where they're going to go to? Uh, you know, so it, it, it has its challenges. Have you ever stepped foot in the Massachusetts woods, Jay? Not to hunt. Um, I grew up on the border and always hunted the line, you know, and just always yeah. had my license. The, you know, frequently the drop time would jump over the line and I wouldn't go get my license and you hear about some guy in mass getting the, the drop time. So this, this is <laughs> Western Mass for the most part. I, I've never actually hunted down in that area. The There's this lovely little plant that grows out here in Eastern Massachusetts and probably Western Central Massachusetts called the Bullbriar. Hmm. And anybody who's listening to this podcast who lives in Southeast Massachusetts or even, I don't know, Eastern Massachusetts knows about a lovely little plant called the bullbriar. It's basically, imagine a green grapevine that grows from the ground up with about half-inch thorns on it that love to tear your ass off. Yeah. They, uh, those make great sanctuaries. I've, I, I, when I first moved here, I'm like, oh man, that's like a great piece of woods. I'm going to go walk in there 
with my kid and just scout it out real quick, you'll go through a pair of pants and you have your kids on your shoulder and you'll be the most miserable person in the world in about 15 minutes. Torn to shreds. Absolutely demolished, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Well, when they butt out the green leaves, the deer like to eat them. Really? I didn't know that. There we go. Snapple fact of the day. Now I know something. Where do you want to go with Boston Bowhunter at this point? What's the goal? I think, I think, I think Justin wants to take it to uh, be part of Donald Trump's Space Force oh, and uh, <laughs> turn that into an intergalactic defense company. Yep. First New England, next the world. Defending the world with bow and arrows. That's right. First things first. With the vision, we want to just keep helping people. You know, we just had an event that, you know, was, uh, we had a lot of people come. I think we had uh, just around 250, correct me if I'm wrong, Jake. And, uh, you know, it, was, it, it went off without a hitch. It was a lot of work, and we have a lot of good people standing behind it that help volunteer. And, you know, we decided this year with the money that we're, we made for it um, that we're going to do the best we can to send two kids to uh, junior conservation camp for two weeks. Neat. You know, all expenses paid. And we're also going to do the best we can to donate money to New England Adventures, which is a veterans-owned and operated company that helps veterans with PTSD get assimilated back into the outdoors, whether it's going on fishing trips, hunting trips, uh, you know, hiking and camping, stuff like that. So it's uh, the goal is to continue to help people. That's what we want overall. Now, if I can find a way to somehow turn this into a, a nonprofit or business i can work full-time that would be great in the future um right now we're still in the growing stage and we've been doing this for about just about two and a half to three years so we're uh i think we're doing good and we're you know we're making some good headway but there's there's always you know plenty of work to do and hopefully uh you know we'll uh, be able to reach that and leave our legacy here doing that someday gotcha well, let's take a little coffee break and when we come back we'll continue our conversation with jake and with Justin and Jake from Boston Bowhunter. Hello, I'm Grant Woods, and as a wildlife biologist, I've learned through the decades that big antlers start in the dirt. It's all about quality soil. Years ago, when research clearly showed that tilling, disking, or disturbing the soil decreased the quality of soil, I changed to a no-till system. As the research progressed and more and more people were focused on soil health, I changed to using cover crops and keeping a living root in the soil as many days throughout the year as possible. Now our food plot systems actually improve the soil instead of degrade it, and we're growing larger and healthier deer. In a similar way, I've learned that several coffee importers don't hold the same value for natural resources that I do. They actually do things that harm the environment instead of help the environment and the people that work those coffee plantations. It's even more discouraging that several coffee importers actually support lobbyists that are against hunting and our hunting traditions. Last winter, I met Ken, Paul, and Mike, three brother-in-laws that love coffee and hunting. Due to their love of coffee, and quite candidly, the people that grow and process the coffee, they work to bring us Hunter's Blend coffee. Paul, Ken, and Mike buy directly from the coffee producers. This allows them to pay the producers at least twice the normal rate and be able to donate to hunting organizations. I love it when I have an opportunity to purchase from folks that want to protect our natural resources and the people working the land and protect hunting and the hunting heritage. I encourage you to go to huntersblendcoffee.com and order some today and ask your local sporting goods retailer to stock their coffee. 
It's more important now than ever for hunters to stick together and support conservation of our natural resources. And now back to our conversation with Justin Coots and Jacob Bennett from Boston Bowhunter. So the the size of the plots of land that you're hunting, Jake, it sounds like you're hunting anything from an acre or two to whatever publicly is allowed, or maybe even some private plots that might even be bigger than that. Um, can you walk us through some of the, the variety of, of places you have permission to hunt? Yes. Um, I, I hunt uh, both uh, public and private land, and in Massachusetts in certain towns, um, private unposted land is free game. It, it's, it's fair game. Um, you just have to do your due diligence and read up on the town bylaws of the town that you plan on hunting. Um, <clears throat> I've got some private pieces that are, you know, 200 acres, 250 acres, and I've got other private pieces that are postage stamp, two acres. Um, so waiting for my invite. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> listen, nothing, nothing's free. Come out and put the time in. This buck we were talking about earlier right here, I was hunting him for four years and uh, in a rather large piece of woods. And there's other people in there. There's not there's not a single piece of woods that I hunt that somebody else doesn't hunt. So I uh, was chasing him for four years on a large piece, and he would disappear for weeks at a time and blah, 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 blah. And about three years ago, I decided to, to just kind of do a satellite scatter of cameras, just in the little, the little woodlots, just outskirting this larger piece of woods and, uh, you know, through neighborhoods and whatnot. And, you know, what I learned is that the deer are not afraid of houses or roads. I mean, we all know that they get by cars. Um, I found him about a mile and a half, two miles away from where I'd been hunting him the three previous years and, and killed him, uh, in a, in a two and a half acre piece of woods, um, where he was going to get sanctuary from the other hunters. Gotcha. So, and this, this was one of my questions that it kind of popped in my head is that, yes, there may be less hunters. Yes. You're hunting with a bow, but the acreage that you have to hunt, it seems like it's they're they're small, so the pressure must still be decent unless it's a private piece, right? I mean, you're even, hunting even so, even on a private piece. Here's the thing: um, there's always competition. If you think I got this piece locked to myself, and I've heard people be like, "Oh man, I've got this great private piece," there's other people who hunt it. There are. It's uh, it's unfortunately um, it's hard to find sanctuaries around here. But yeah, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of competition for hunting ground. And for deer out here, um, yeah, there may be less hunters, um, but there definitely is a lot less huntable woods. And unfortunately, I think it leads to a lot of nasty interactions between hunters. And we see it on Boston Bowhunter all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, we see public accusations of people hunting illegally or doing something illegally and calling, trying to call somebody out online. And whoever's tree stand this is in such and such woods, you're 60 yards from mine, please move it. And yeah, it's legal. It's If it's fair game in public woods, no, there's no law saying you can't put a tree stand up 30 yards behind somebody else, yeah. but it's common courtesy. And I think uh, one thing that I have talked to the admins about going forward is that as Boston Bowhunter, we try, we're trying to promote good sportsmanship in between in, in the hunting community we need to kind of advocate for ourselves and each other instead of being in competition with each other um it, unfortunately suburbia in tight hunting grounds leads for a lot of negative interactions and that's something i think as a society we need to work on as a hunting society right yeah i, I i'm sure you guys feel it on boston bow hunter quite a bit i don't think that's necessarily unique to boston right. bow hunter it seems like that's just you know facebook social media seems to be a lot of uh there's not a lot of unity is what we're noticing amongst hunters for a lot of different reasons everybody seems to have a different opinion on how it should be done and yeah i mean there's you know we have to take the go with the bad here i mean there's always 
we have a group of, I think, about 42, 4,300 people. And, you know, there's always going to be a couple of guys that make this kind of difficult and have to put in their two cents that always just seems to be negative. But for the most part, I think we're there. We weed those out kind of quickly. Yeah, we either get rid of them after a while if they don't, get, you know, bring anything positive to the group or, you know, we just have to we have to deal with it sometimes. You know, if they're if they're bringing good points to the table, that's one thing. But if it's a negative, uh, if they just bring a negativity to everything, that's not the kind of uh, that's not the kind of uh, message that we want to send, especially to the newcomers. So it's something where if you got to go, you got to go. It's one of those things where we just we do what we have to do. Right. Growing up in New York, like somebody would shoot a big buck. This kid that grew up with me, he shot the biggest buck anybody had seen in that town in like decades. It was like a 140 inch 10 pointer, beautiful buck. It was the first year my zone opened it up to rifle hunting. And we put that buck in the back of our truck and we drove everywhere. And everywhere we went, we got nothing but high fives and congratulations right. and have a beer. And just, it was. It was a lot of camaraderie and, oh, yeah, yeah, you got that up on the hill. Awesome. Good for you. And you never heard anything like, oh, I bet you shot over 200 pile of, you know, 200 pound pile of apples or, oh, he was trespassing or, oh, he shot the night before. There was never any of that. So, I, you know, I, I think, uh, yeah, social media and, and the overall hunting community has come into play with the uh, kind of, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there's definitely a down spiraling to the quality of the hunting community and how we treat each other yeah. in the last few decades um i'd love to see that change i don't know if it's a product of uh social media and competition or um the outdoor industry i mean i've been in the outdoor industry on various pro staffs and filming for shows um and writing for publications for probably going on 10 12 years now and um i, I definitely see a change in hunting society and how we treat each other and it's kind of it's kind of nauseating I'm with you. It, from the hunting that I knew growing up where everybody was excited if you got a deer. And, you know, there's always a bit of jealousy, but not. But you'd never say anything. You, you would um, promote the deer. You'd be excited about the hunter's success. And, and obviously, you're always a bit envious. But there was always, like, this good camaraderie, like, congratulations, just like you described. Yeah. I don't see that anymore. I mean, you might even when you get to the way station – you know, there seems to be yeah, hey, nice. On occasion, you get a yeah, hey, nice, nice deer, but there's there's like this this almost a bitterness, and I don't, I I can't figure out exactly where it's all coming from. But man, it's way different than it was when I was growing up. Way different, and that's something that Boston Bowhunter were trying to create. Even though it's you know in the hunting world in New England, it's small. It's you know four to five thousand members, but it's something we're trying to fill those member slots with people who share same values and the same respect. And we can post something or somebody can post something and they're genuinely excited about it. You know, um, there's always going to be those bad apples. There's always going to be those people. And there are members on Boston Bowhunter that don't bring much to the table that lurk just to look at the trail camera pictures of Bucks and find out where the person lives. And then, you know, listen, we've heard it. We hear it a dozen times a year where people on Facebook get a picture of a giant buck on their trail camera. They get excited. They post it on they post it on Boston Bowhunter. Next thing you know, somebody's lurking the private account, finds out what town they live in, and then next thing you know, they pop up trail cameras in all this person's woods and this and that. And so it's kind of really unfortunate, but that's what we kind of try to weed out. Gotcha. All right. Very See, good. See, I don't have to deal with any of that because I'm not a great hunter. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I never I never said I was. That's funny. Let's uh let's get into some of your your best 
and maybe the most memorable deer stories that you guys have. Um, I know we had talked about this a little bit on the the when we formating or forming the the outline here. Let's uh, start with you, Justin, if we could take us on a hunt, take us on an adventure. Where are we going to go? So we're going to go on a hunt with Ray Isles here. Um, this was when I first started the group, and Ray had Ray and I had been talking for some time, and he kept saying, you know, if you want to come out, I'll I'll put you on one of my good stands, and we'll see if we can uh, you know help you harvest something. And I finally got to get out there. Um, you know, Ray and I met up at like 5 a.m. up in Wicked in Mass, where he's from, in Winchester or whatever it's pronounced as. And we went and, uh, you know, he put me on one of his stands and, you know, it was great. I ended up not actually seeing anything that day, but it was more of the fact that Ray had put me on and, you know, he took the time out of his day to actually do that. And that to me was just as memorable than anything you know the fact that he he didn't have to do that you know and that kind of started the idea of trying to you know keep on trying to help other people so it's kind of evolved into something bigger and better today um as for a more interesting story out in peru mass i went out there a couple years ago with uh my girlfriend and we had knew that there was black bear in the area but I had never really seen one around the area yet. So I, uh, you know, I was helping her out. She was a first timer getting into the woods and she was climbing up her stand and she, um, you know, she got up there, I was handing her her bow and halfway up the ladder. And she was like, Hey, you know, there's, there's a bear behind you. I'm like, okay, whatever you say, Miranda. And, uh, and she's like, no, seriously, there's a bear right behind you. And I thought I turn around and I'm like, yep. Holy there's a bear about 15 yards from me and i was uh i was pretty scared you know i didn't have much experience with that and i shimmied up that ladder pretty damn quick and i was lucky enough where you know i got up the ladder and the bear ended up just taking off but it was a uh, it was definitely a memorable moment and you know she she made fun of me to this day for that but i'm sure she probably would have done the same thing so it was a uh, it was definitely something i'll never forget that's a good one that's definitely a telltale sign of a new hunter right there yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was my first real interaction with uh you know with a bear outside of you know Clark's trading post up in New right, Hampshire. Right, so, right. Yeah, uh, it I was see. something like whoa, you know, this is like a here's a wild animal here, and he's not too far away from me. You know, I don't think looking back now, I, I know that he he probably really had no real interest in me and just wanted to see what was going on because he ended up just taking right off. But it was uh. It was a, I don't know, you, you see all these movies growing up as a kid and, you know, bears kind of have this thing, this stigma where it's like, okay, it's a big, scary animal that's known to uh, rip you apart. So right. that's, that's, just, that really was what's going what through. What the hell movies right are you now. watching? I mean, what's that bears, movie? Yogi the Bear is a gentle soul. What's that movie with, um, what was it, with Alec Baldwin and uh, was it Anthony Hopkins where they're in that plane and it goes down? And they had a, that grizzly bear chasing them around the mountain for the rest of the movie. Yes. The good the good news is that there are no such thing as a grizzly bear in Massachusetts. I'm just going to throw that out right. there. No, there's not. Yeah. But if, like, that's why I don't I don't go on planes because I'm afraid of snakes on a plane. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, Justin, in your defense, if that was Alaska, yeah, I'd I'd be uh, I'd be a little scared yeah. too. But uh, the the, I black, mean, the same black... aspect, Justin. That's why I don't go swimming over my waist in the ocean. I don't like sharks. I don't either. I'm gonna be honest with you, real quick. I don't go anywhere past my knees, especially when I'm in the Cape. 
gross. No, I just, I don't know. You know, I was very inexperienced. It was my like second or third year. Sure. And uh, I just immediately thought in my head, there's a bear and I need to get up this tree as quick as I can. And if I have to throw my girlfriend down to feed the bear, I'm going to do what I have to do. <laughs> you don't have to be the fastest. You just have to be faster than one behind you, right? Oh, man. It was, it was her or me. I'll tell you right now, it was not going to be me. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right. All right, Jake, where are we going to go on your hunt? Um, it's hard uh, to pick one. Um to be honest, so so my father and I, we bond a lot of times in the outdoors. And I find myself, he's 68 years old now. And about four, four or five years ago, he had a really bad accident, almost lost his life. He was uh, cutting firewood and he had a tree fall on his leg and pinned him down and crushed his uh, his leg pretty good. He almost lost a leg. But it kind of reprioritized, reprioritized things for me um, and how I spent time with my father. So every chance we get to hunt together, we do. Um, and we enjoy it. This, you know, he came out to Massachusetts for the opening week of turkey season. In the first two days, he was tagged out. Wow, he, nice. Um, you know, we, uh, you know Brett Joy uh, and uh, uh, from New Hampshire, I believe, and, and we were filming for Eastern Strut, and we had a cameraman come out. And my dad was done in the first two days, and those are some memories right there. But uh, to think back, you know, I, I actually wrote an article about a buck I shot the year after my dad had an accident, um, and I called it's the so buck. That, yeah, that big six point, I called it Bruce Almighty. That's the first big buck I ever killed uh, with my father there and able to help me track it and drag it out. Um, but to be honest with you, one of the best memories I have was this past rifle season, opening day in New York. We had that very, very special half inch of snow on the ground, maybe quarter inch of snow, just enough to make it for a nice drag out. Yep. And it uh, it turned out my, one of my, be- my best friend from Massachusetts came back to hunt with us on opening day. And we had this this woodlot that we had permission to hunt. We've hunted my whole life. The woman who owns it is my mom's best friend. And we just got done telling him that it's opening day. It's the middle of the rut. Anything can happen. Just, you know, a deer can pop out of anywhere. People are moving them around. It's, it could be chaos. I remember, you know, 10 years ago, riding through here and deer come flying by and, and, you know, sitting there and we're walking and talking out and we're sitting there. My, my dad's pointing towards the clouds or something. And my buddy goes, Look, right there, 30 yards to my left, there's this two-and-a-half-year-old buck just walking head down, you know, love drunk, ready for some mistress, and just walking right to us at 30 yards. And I sat there with my father and, and my best friend and, and shot the buck. And it was all high fives and hugs. And it was probably the smallest buck I've killed in the last few years. But I, my heart was pumping. We were excited. You know, it was a two-and-a-half-year-old buck, but it was such a great experience. You know, we sat down, we had a cup of coffee, we talked, we joked about it, we dragged it out. You know, and that's a memory that that brings me back to 15, 20 years ago when I was hunting with my uncles and my grandfather and my father and his friends. And we would do drives, and there was this camaraderie and mutual respect and genuinely ha- genuine happiness for somebody else's success and, and and basically the excitement of just making a great memory not necessarily filling a tag and so that right there that that memory is is, is pretty high up there and that just happened this past fall that's awesome i i appreciate what you're saying about getting somebody on a deer their first bird their whatever it is their first something <laughs> No matter at what point in life that is, there's something very special about that. I can definitely see how you got there. It really is. You just you don't you don't forget that kind of stuff. You know you you're you're inexperienced with it. So that you know that first deer, that first turkey. I mean it's it's a uh, it's definitely a memorable moment. Very cool. 
right. um, and, and, and the thing is, everybody um, has. I've, I've taken people out who have been kind of numb. I've had people who've had very visceral reactions to, to killing their first animal. What better way, in my mind, to do it than turkey hunting? If you want to hook somebody, like think about it. It's it's action packed. You don't sit in a tree. You can move around. They answer you back. You know when they're coming. They thunder right in front of you. And I remember not this past spring, the spring before, maybe even the spring before that, I was filming and I took this young lady out who's from Brazil. And she was adamant. She's like, I want to shoot a turkey with my bow. I want to shoot a turkey with my bow. And I kind of was like, Are you sure? Because it's a very hard target and they don't stand still. Yeah. She goes, Well, I'll just watch you first. <clears throat> Come to find out we had this bird uh, strike up. And I offered, I said, do you want to shoot this bird with my gun? And she said, yes. And she did amazing. Bird came in, put on a show. I videoed the whole thing, strutting. The hen came in, and she shot it, and she just started weeping. <laughs> and I was kind of scared. I said, oh, my God, did the gun, you know, he, he used my shotgun, Gretchen, and she's kind of a mean gun. And I was like, oh, my God, did, did, did Gretchen kick too hard for her? Are you okay? Are you sad? <laughs> and she was so excited. She was like, it's my first kill. I'm so proud of myself. I'm so excited. And I'm like, you know, man, that right there, I've killed hundreds, hundreds of longbeards. That right there is better than any bird I could have killed yep. in my life. Yep. And so watching her reaction, her respect of the game. And I mean, she's hooked for life. She goes out on her own now. She's absolutely crackhead addicted to turkey hunting. <laughs> and that's what it's about. Yeah. So I had a similar experience this, this past season. I, a friend of mine who is uh, he's an attorney, a real estate attorney, has cerebral palsy and has never gone hunting. We've talked to him about it multiple times, but he finally said, yeah, I, I want to go do this. We got him in under the, the mentorship program uh, through the state of New Hampshire so he could buy a license without actually taking hunting hunter safety so long as he's with another hunter. And we had a, a couple of close calls, but we finally found a bird all alone in this giant corner of a cornfield. And we, he, the, it was, we knew it was a strutter. We knew there was a hen around. Had to be. It was all alone. You know how they get, some of those big birds get real isolated, um, oh, like yeah. mid-season. And if you see that, if you can find an isolated spot, all you got to do is get that hen to come to you. And we, we lined them up. We got them set up on a tree. And later he told us, he said, well, I always wanted to hunt as a kid. My, my, my brothers did. Um, but because of my cerebral palsy, they never took me. They just, you know, wrote me off uh, as incapable and, and almost like it was not desired. Well, <laughs> that was not the case. Um, and he shot a, a, his first turkey ever, came in. We, I gave him my, my big uh 12 gauge with with the three and a half inch magnum and he just he leveled this thing as the bird as the hen crossed the, the big tom came up behind him 10 and a half inch beard huge spurs first bird the guy's hooked for life yeah wow. that's, and, that's and awesome. doing that for someone and being able to provide that for someone you know and people are just like oh jay's great takes people out i'm very selfish in the fact yeah i'm doing that to, i'm taking them out but i'm feeling my needs with that that's feeling my 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 empty bank in my soul for <laughs> further this sport and fill that memory void in like i will never ever relive my first turkey kill or my first big buck kill or my first deer kill ever again but i relive it every single year through someone else right that's cool. and that's and that's the selfishness of it to be honest with you i'm with you I th I'm with that was that was exp that experience was as good actually i take that back it was better than probably my first kill yeah, and, and and to be honest, it doesn't have to be somebody new. It's it's I I've come full 
I like to say I've come full circle, but it's a large circle where, you know, for so many years, I want to kill a giant buck. I want to kill a big buck. And that's the only thing that's important to me. And I've kind of the last few years been like, you know, what? I want to make memories around this short, this earth for a short amount of time. Yeah. <clears throat> I want to make memories that last. And so think I would spent time hunting with Brett Joy this year. and He's killed a ton of turkeys in the last two days of our hunt filming. We killed two great birds and made awesome memories. Um, I took uh, a gentleman out this year who, uh, Paul Chapdelaine, who's killed plenty of turkeys, and we had an excellent morning. You know, fog was coming up. It was dewy out. This hen was, this hen came off the pitch, off the perch, right at our faces. She landed 10 feet from us. Tom followed suit, big strut. He hammered the big Tom. And it was just like those are memories that I work nights, and sometimes it gets slow. I can sit there and just relive all those memories like right. they happen right in front of me right and that's 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 soul food to me that's <clears throat> that feeds my soul yep i'm completely with you well let's uh, go through a 10 rapid fire question exercise here guys if you would entertain me oh boy all right these are very simple stuff you'll know off the top of your head let's start with jake jake uh, what's yeah. your what's your number one hunting tip of all time number one hunting tip of all time huh just because there's a tree stand there doesn't mean oh let me read this <laughs> You can't kill. Basically, you can't kill them if you're not in the woods. That's that's basically a you know very profound but very important first step, right? If you, yeah. if you don't get out there, you have no chance. Uh, right. Justin, what's your number one hunting tip of all time? Well, mine's kind of goes right along the lines of that. Uh, whether you're cold or tired, just hunt a little bit longer. Because I've had it happen once where I almost went inside. I was texting my cousin in my tree stand. I was like, "Let's get out of here, get some hot chocolate." He's like, no, stop being a pussy. Let's do it for another hour or two at least. And, you know, lo and behold, 30 minutes later, I had my first buck come in and I was able to arrow him and put him down. So that was a, uh, just, you know, stay in your, stay in your stand a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, good advice. Don't go get the hot chocolate. I'm with you. Um, okay. We all have these things that we, I don't know if they're good luck charms. We just kind of like having it with us when we're out hunting, um, and it drives us crazy if we forget it at the truck, at, at the camp, whatever. Uh, what's that one thing for you? Let's start with you, Justin. Um, I'm just going to – I don't really have a good luck charm, but I'm going to say food. I need to have food while I'm in yeah, my tree yeah. stand. Um, I, uh, I'm the that type of person where – That drives me nuts, man. That drives me nuts. <laughs> it does. I know it does. I can't – if I don't eat after like two hours, I start like – I get sweats and I'm, I'm getting uncomfortable and I'm thinking when my next meal is going to be. I'm in survival mode. And it's, it's, so needed. it's so it's so over the top, but I just, uh, you know, I'm kind of a fitness freak too. So I'm constantly burning calories all the time. And he's I need in the, he's into fitness pizza in his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. So I, you know, I usually have little snacks with me, whether it's beef jerky or, you know, every now and then a pop tart. So God, Jay, <laughs> let me just, on that, on that note, I'm very diligent with my scent control. Uh, and I spend hundreds of hours chasing one single buck and I'll be damned. If the sweet, juicy smell of teriyaki beef jerky is going in the freaking woods with me. <laughs> right. That's why Jake's a better hunter than me. No, it, it's, it's, it's simple. If you take the investment, you put the time in. I just, you know, hey, if that's what makes you happy and keeps you in the stand, good luck. God bless. <clears throat> Whatever it takes to get you outside. Gotcha. All right. So on that same note, Jake, what's the one thing that you can't hunt without? Um, my, uh, my, my, my grandfather's last hunting license. There you go. I keep it folded up in my breast pocket. That's a good one. I have not heard wow. that before. 
That's pretty yep. cool. Uh, unfortunately, it's gone, and it used to be. So I have the ultrasound pictures of each of my kids and my uh, grandfather's last hunting uh, hunting stamp because New York, it used to be stamps, and I have them in a Ziploc bag in my breast pocket. And yes, they've all gone through several washes by accident, but they I dry them out and they go with me. Nice, very That's cool. Pretty cool, man. Jake, what's your biggest pet peeve in life? Hmm. Other than people who smack their lips when they chew. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> My, my biggest pet peeve in life, I mean, and not just uh, as it relates to hunting. Yeah, just personally. Uh, personally, my biggest pet peeve in life. Let's go with uh, disrespect. Good one. Justin? For people, uh, in general, general, just lack of respect for, for fellow humans. Gotcha. How about you, Justin? Uh, I guess I'm going to go along the lines of that again. Probably people who don't give credit where it's due, you know? That's a good one, too. All right. Very good. All right. What's, uh, let's see, moving on. Let's see. How old are you guys? I am 31. 31? I'm 37 with the body of a 55-year-old. <laughs> Dad bod, huh? Gotcha. Well, I got a pacemaker and I'm bald. Hot. So right. hot. Hey, I just dropped 30, 32 pounds. Did you uh, really? Ready for Colorado elk, yeah. That's awesome. Wow. I have also just dropped 32 pounds on the nose. That's really funny. Did you really? Yeah. I feel much better. Like, I feel I have more energy. Uh, I'm actually... There's a couple of hunter friends that I know who are doing. I'm on a diet and on a training regiment. Uh, it's like a, it's actually a high fat diet. Yeah, same here. No, no, are you doing keto? Keto, yep. Yeah, ketosis. Keto, baby. Joe Rogan, big keto. advocate for ketosis, yep. intermittent fasting. I do the same thing. Yep, it's uh, so good. It's crazy. Three months now. Yeah, I've, Joe I've, Rogan's podcast is unreal. March nineteenth is when I started, and uh, yeah, dropped thirty two. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I'm at my goal weight now. I was 253, um, and now I'm about 220. Um, I'm at my goal weight, and so I just want to maintain. But uh, it's amazing how good you feel. And I work nights, and I only sleep three, four hours a day. And uh, it's amazing what your body can do when it's using fat as a fuel source. I agree. Yeah, I, I, think- I do. I mean, I, I follow the same guidelines you guys do. I do the uh, the five and two splits, so five days on, two days off. And uh, I do usually a 16 and eight window. I'm probably going to start to move it up to an 18 and six. So I'll do 18 hours of, you know, no eating and then six hours of eating. Usually I'll, I'll fast from, uh, 8 PM till noon the next day. And then I'll break fast and eat from 12 to eight and then go right back to it. Yeah. I'll do that. I'll do that three or four days a week. Cause that's what, that way it's intermittent fasting. Uh, sometimes I'll throw in an 18 or 20. Uh, yeah. it's hard working nights, but yeah, it's amazing how, and I, and, and I'm glad we were talking about this a little bit because I think, uh, as hunters, we all have kind of a, um, there's two different, definitely, there's, there's actually, I'd say, three genres of hunters. There, there are the old school, there's the new age, and then there's the tech hunters. Um, but I think th- there's a stereotype of hunters as like fat Elmer Fudd to trash the woods. But uh, as it comes out, we, we need to start as hunters taking better care of our body. And, and, and this is, uh, I mean, we hear every year people, of, uh, people passing away in the woods from a heart attack or accidents fitness and hunting should go hand in hand and uh, i mean it doesn't always have to but you know there are certain things out there like uh train to hunt yep. i know um there's a gentleman will bradley from the uh adventurous gentleman uh outdoorsman but there's 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 uh, you know um i talk about it with uh there's a gentleman by the name of mark balasheri uh, who's big into it as well uh fitness and hunting are definitely linked i mean think about it we're pursuing the most pure nutrients available and we're exercising doing it very easy to go hand in hand. Right, I completely agree. It's, it's I, I, I don't get winded like I used to. I can I can hike up and down mountains, and it's like when you're carrying that extra two thir- extra thirty two pounds, and you take that off. It's amazing how easy it is to move. 
it is, you know. Yeah. And, I mean, you think of the biggest thing of it too. You don't break a sweat, right? You know, yeah. it's a lot harder. And you break that sweat. I mean, there goes your sense system. You've been working towards all year. Yeah. And, and then there's and, and and to be honest with you, this past turkey season, I felt I moved. I was the most limber, most active. I could move. And uh, maybe it was just me. Maybe he's being nice to me. But I hunt alongside professional hockey players, and sometimes they struggled to keep up with me this spring. You know, I mean, when you move, you move. Right. Granted, I, I can't ice skate for worth a damn. But, you know, it, it definitely, I think it makes you a better outdoorsman. Being in shape. I agree. And I, I moved through the woods uh, better than I ever had and since I was in my 20s, um, yeah. where I could, I, I was, took a lot of people on some turkey hunts and I, they were, they had to keep up with me and I was not keeping up with them. And I yeah. was different. And I also, and maybe you guys can speak to this, I feel like there's a mental clarity that I, I wasn't having when I was eating lots of carbohydrates and I can, it's almost like I can think faster. I can see faster, more, more reactive. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, maybe it's just subjective, but that, that's my yeah, experience. I, and, and the thing is, uh, so I, I, and I have noticed that, um, I mean, I work nights, uh, 7 PM to 7 30 AM in the emergency department. I'm a registered nurse. The clarity of my thought process, I have seen a different and different set. Yeah. Um, Less sluggish movement, less sluggish thinking, more uh, a higher acuity thought process. I've definitely, definitely okay. noticed. All right. So it's not just me. That's good to know. What would you tell the uh, 16-year-old, you, um, knowing what you know today? Start with you. Me? <laughs> so uh, if I were to see my, okay. So as a 16-year-old, I would tell myself to not be so cocky. You're not the best in the world. Shut up and listen to people. Okay. All right. Justin? Uh, probably same thing and work hard. You know, put the work in. Put the time in, put the work in, and uh, don't give up. You know, I I came from a pretty, uh, you know, well-off family, and there was at times growing up where I had, you know, my parents worked hard for what they had, and they didn't have a whole lot growing up, and they wanted to give to me what they didn't have. So I had things just given to me at times, and I, uh, I guess I didn't learn how to appreciate that until I got a little bit older. So I didn't have to work for things as hard. Um, you, pretty much when I turned 21 – my parents had uh, said, you know, you need to go out in the world and do things on your own and been living on my own since about that time. So, I, you know, I, I really learned what it meant to, uh, you know, work hard and make things work for yourself without having to get handouts. So it's, uh, I guess, work hard. Gotcha. Okay. All right. You're at a hunting convention somewhere in the world and a stranger comes up to you and asks you what you do for a living. What do you tell them? Start with you, Justin. Um, well, I tell them I'm a network engineer by trade and I been lucky enough to start a moderately successful nonprofit hunting group that helps people, uh, you know, get outdoors, helps them live a healthier lifestyle, helps them make memories with their family and even helps, uh, you know, veterans with assimilating back into the outdoors. Nice. Nice. How about you, Jake? Uh, I tell them I'm a registered nurse in the emergency department and a uh, father of three and husband of one. Nice. All right. Uh, see, Jake, what did you have for breakfast this morning? I haven't eaten yet. Okay. Very good. Uh, let's see. So, uh, around three this morning, I had uh, half an avocado and cauliflower rice with uh, nice aminos. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> so familiar and, with that stuff. And then let's not lie, I, I I cooked it in three strips of diced up bacon with the grease. Yeah. So. Beautiful. All right, Justin, how about you? Uh, I started eating at noon. Broke fast. Um, I actually have this right here. So I got a fitness mix of uh, cranberries. I got almonds, sunflower seeds, uh, pumpkin seeds, sorry, and peanuts. So that's pretty much what I'll eat. 
for most of the day, probably around four o'clock, I'll throw a steak on the grill and I'll eat that with an avocado. Beautiful. Excellent. All right. Uh, let's see. You get your own billboard on the side of a highway. It's a blank canvas. You can put anything you want on it. What would it say? Start with you, Justin. We want you to join Boston Bowhunter. Bowhunter. All right. <laughs> Very good. Jake? Uh, drive slower, sit longer, love harder. Nice. If I say the word successful to you, who's the first person that pops into your head and why? Start with Jake. My father. Okay. Justin? I'm going to say Joe Rogan. He's a big idol of mine. I, you know, I see what he done, everything from, you know, fear factor to being a color commentator for the UFC to Brazilian jiu-jitsu, having two black belts and to his new venture into hunting a couple of years ago. And he has a very successful podcast and he's a, uh, he's an all around good dude. Very nice. Justin, don't forget Spin City. Okay. He was in a, he was in that sitcom. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> you didn't know that? He was a, he was like a tech guy. He repaired all the copy machines and computers and stuff. That's pretty cool. Well, then I can even relate to him even more because I'm a tech guy. <clears throat> there you go. All right. Uh, Justin, what's a typical day in your life look like? Well, right now it's picking up the mess in my living room that my daughter's making, followed by probably going to the gym after their Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And after that, usually coming home and turn the TV on for a little bit, cooking some good food. I like to cook food. You know, I like to take my time with it and I try not to rush it. I don't mind prepping meals and doing stuff like that. Yep. And I usually go to bed pretty early. So I'm trying to break the, uh, the mold of watching TV always before bed. And I've been reading a lot more late as of lately. So a couple of books I'm reading right now is uh, 48 Laws of Power. Uh, I have The First Frontier. And I'm also reading, it's a book on, um, it's a book on gut health. You know, I've recently. It's an Archie comic book? Yeah. It's an Archie <laughs> comic book. You're reading the book of Kama Sutra. There's a book called like Stop the Clock and it talks about like anti-aging and uh, gut health. So that's, you know, as a nutrition guy, that's something I'm uh, always trying to work on and learn more about. Gotcha. And how about you, Jake? Uh, my life is, is hectic as hell. I mean, it's, um, I've got three kids all under the age of 12. I've got an 11 year old girl, an eight year old girl and a three year old boy. Uh, my wife works, I work nights, uh, three days a week, 7 PM to 7 AM. So a day in the life of me can, it, it's, it's variable. <laughs> but so today I got home at eight 30. Uh, I sleep till noon. <clears throat> Normally I would, uh, do work outside, shoot my bow. I like to spend most of my days outside exercise, clean the house, run the kids to dance practice, soccer practice, lacrosse practice, uh, try and get my girls outside to shoot their bow as much as possible, try and get my son outside to dig in the dirt, do whatever I can to get him outside. I just, uh, I, you know, it's a, it's a busy life. And so a day in life for me is never the same. Unless, you know, my son's three years old now, and I'm praying he doesn't outgrow the Kilty Pack because anywhere from September 15th through Whatever. He's on my back, and we're running cameras. We're scouting, putting miles on. Gotcha. All right. Very he good. It, you, know? you should put me on your back. <laughs> yeah. The problem is you can't keep your hands to yourself. Right. <laughs> I can't guarantee anything, man. <laughs> All right. Then, uh, Jake, what's a typical deer hunting day in your life look like? Uh, typical deer hunting day is um, with my – so I have to plan my deer hunts pretty well in advance. Um, I spend a lot of my time – uh, running cameras and scouting and I don't sit in a stand unless I'm, I don't, huh. how do I say it? It's kind of strange. Cause I said, you know, you can't come unless you're in the woods. 
I spend more days scouting than I do hunting. And I think that increases your percentage chance of success. Yeah. Um, if I don't have a, uh, a specific deer that I'm after or know where he's at, or I've got a picture of him in a week or so, I'm not going to hunt him. I'm not going to spend my time in a stand. I'm going to put my feet on the ground, run cameras, look for fresh signs, see where he's at. But a typical day in the life for me would be if I'm doing a morning hunt. Uh, I usually can hunt half days because of my family situation. Um, in the morning, I'll get up early, have a cup of coffee, coffee, a couple cups of coffee, do my morning business, shower up, get set, get in the stand. I use climbers a lot and uh, get up there well before daylight. Uh, in the afternoon, um, same business, get ready, get in, get set. So, cause I run a camera quite often. I film all my hunts. So you have to give yourself that specific amount of time. All right. So what's a typical deer hunting day in your life look like? Uh, I usually get up around four 30, depending on how far I'm driving from my house. I like you to smash the crawlers. Yeah. If Dunkin' Donuts is open. Uh, I like to get out of the house no later than five and be in the woods by like 5:30, so I like to be up before you know before the sun comes up up in the tree, resting and you know waiting. Uh, and there, I'll usually sit and hang out till 11 o'clock noon. Then I'll I'll go and take a break, hang out at home for a little bit, do some chores around the house. So I took the you know day completely off, and then usually around probably two to three o'clock, I'll go right back in and I'll sit till dark and hope that I can uh, you know have a deer come by and hope that I have the uh, you know, the blessing from God to be able to shoot something. All right. Very good. All well, right. That, that being said, I will say there's a select few days between November 10th and November 16th or so. If I can, I'll do dark to dark every day. Okay. Oh yeah. That makes sense. Um, so yeah, I've tried that. I'm not very good at it. There's a, there's a buck right here. I did 16 days straight for. Wow. Uh, yeah. I missed him at nine o'clock in the morning. I killed him at four thirty in the afternoon. The same stand on a doe. That's what it takes sometimes, you know. You just just got to put in those those long days. No food. It's not for everybody, and not everybody has to do it to be a good hunter. It's right. just it, like I said before; those are the goals I set for myself, yep. and I like to achieve them. Yep. Right. Y- yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still at a point in my hunting career or whatever you want to call it where I'm just you know I'm just looking to, to harvest deer. I'm not picky on what I get. I like. Just put meat in the freezer. You know, I guess you can call me a bad hunter for it or an amateur, which I won't argue with you. I am, you know, and I just, uh, the meat's all I care about right now. But I don't think I'm going to hold that against you at all. And that's the thing is that I want to touch on this just for a second if you know, if you got time. Absolutely. Bad hunters and this and that, and you can't eat the horns and, oh, well, you're a trophy hunter and don't tell me what I can and can't shoot. That has all got to, it's all got to stop. I don't care if you shoot a spike horn. I don't care if you shoot a four-pointer. If you've got a grin on your face and a story to tell and you're proud of that deer, I will buy you a beer, smack you on the back, and say, that's awesome. I'm happy for you. Yep. yep. But in the same aspect, because I choose not to shoot that deer, don't come to me and tell me I'm just a trophy hunter and I talk down about your deer. But in the same, you know, if you shoot that four-pointer in spike horn, don't tell me, well, I only shot it because my neighbor would have shot it if I let it go. Be proud of your decision. Be proud of the life you took. You took something's life. Right. Stand by. You killed something. You took it off this earth so you could utilize the meat. Don't make an excuse for why you killed it. Kill it and enjoy it and remember the memory and utilize the meat. That's what it's about. And this goes back to us having respect for each other. Right. I don't care what somebody else decides to kill legally with their tag. That's your decision. But don't make an excuse to me. Be proud of it. Yep. Completely agree. Well said. Guys, it's been great. I've really enjoyed talking to you guys. I think what you're doing is fantastic, and, and please keep it going. Uh, 
always happy to contribute to whatever you have and get your get your stuff reissued on our page or whatever. Um, if we have created more questions than answers, or if uh, people who are listening to this have further questions, where can they reach you guys? Uh, you can reach me online. You can reach me through the Boston Bowhunter page. You can go to our website, bostonbowhunterapparel.com, and reach us there. Or you can reach me through my email at bostonbowhunter617 at gmail.com. Very cool. How about you, Jim? Yep. Uh, same thing. Uh, you know, we're, uh, we're in the middle of we're working our uh, – <clears throat> getting our apparel out there now. Uh, starting to do some Boston Bowhunter apparel, make it kind of edgy. So that's a good place to reach us at. Same thing online, Facebook. Um, you know um, – I'm a hard guy to get in touch with. My wife can't even get in touch with me. She's been calling me for the last 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, um, I'll be doing, you'll be seeing me this fall, uh, hopefully, uh, on Deer Society and the Outdoor Sportsman's and Pursuit Channel. Um, That's awesome. I'll be doing some, thank you. And I'll be doing some, uh, some writing and uh, some photography, videography this year. So good place to catch me is at uh, Boston Bowhunter Gardens on Facebook. Very cool. I appreciate it, guys. Uh, thanks for all the, the insight to what's going on on Boston Bow Hunter and keep up the good work. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. Thanks for the time. Well, thanks to Justin and Jake for entertaining us for the last hour or so and walking us through all the ins and outs of hunting the suburbs of Boston where those lands were once the beginning of America where the Patriots and our founding forefathers fought for our freedom and now it's turned into some pretty darn good hunting land. Dusty, do we have a Chubby Tines tip of the week? Yeah, I do, Jay. And it's going to uh, take me back to when I first started getting knowledge of how to get a hold of hunting land and where to go to places to execute the landowners. And I'm going to go into my personal bag of tricks here and, and, and share something that I do if I'm in a bind and I need a place to hunt, you know. The Chubby Tines Tip of the Week is sponsored by Morse's Sporting Goods. Firearms, use firearms, bows, use bows. Located at 85 Kentucky Falls Road in Hillsborough, New Hampshire. Give Jim a call at 603-464-3444, morsessportinggoods.com. Your dollars go further in New Hampshire. There's no sales tax. Morse's Sporting Goods. Most, I almost say 99% of farmers have this one particular restaurant either within a county or a couple cities over that they all like to congregate to to have breakfast. It's where they can sit down and cut up and have fun with each other and and it seems like if you if you know a, a few farmers or at least one farmer that may catch that breakfast, that that's somewhere where you can capitalize on a piece of property to hunt on. You you start making the effort to show up there for breakfast. Either it's a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning if you're off work Tuesday or Wednesday or any day of the week that you're off work or just a day that you don't have nothing going on and you say, Hey, I need to go to this particular restaurant, sit down, have breakfast with these farmers and walk in and introduce yourself and sit down with them. Say, hey, you guys care if I join you for breakfast? And they're going to say, no, not one bit. You know, who are you? What, what, you know, they're going to want to know about you. Right. You've made the effort to show up there and you made the attempt to sit down with them. That's going to spark their interest. You know, it's not very often that somebody walks into their breakfast at their congregation meeting area uh, and asks to sit down with them because it's usually a click of eight to 15 guys that just catch up, you know, maybe once or twice a week or maybe it's even every day. So just go ahead and sit down and introduce yourself and tell them, you know, hey, you're, you're a bow hunter and, you know, and maybe take a couple pictures with you or if you got them on your phone, get them out and show them to them and, and let them know that you're you're kind of interested in, in finding a place to, to hunt on. And if you continue to show up to that breakfast meeting or a congregation area, they're going to they're gonna start to recognize you and they're going to learn who you are and they're going to build a personal trust at breakfast that, that's going to lead into, you know, 
crop damage. They're going to get start talking about that, and that that that's your opportunity when they start talking about deer are tearing the heck out of their soybeans or their cornfields or their hay fields. You know, you just say, hey, I, I I could be the guy to go in there and and kill off a few of them deer for you and maybe help out your yields and. You know, don't just run in there and say, hey, can I hunt your place? You know, not introduce yourself or get to know them because it's not going to work. Get to know them a little bit, build a little trust with them. And maybe if you got a couple that you like and you know that they got a piece of property you could you could possibly hunt on, maybe buy their breakfast. Just use that that morning meeting that there's a group of friends or buddies or, you know, uh, fellow farmers. Go in there and sit down and, and try to capitalize on, on a piece of property with that route. That's my job time tip of the week, Jay. Great tip, man. I was just gonna. I was just about to ask you how many people show up and do that, and where you go as a farmer to hang out. Probably not too many. No, that it don't. It doesn't happen very often. But usually, when it does, there's always somebody there that's looking for somebody to hunt a farm that they don't necessarily live on. That, that's something I'm picking up on. That if they don't live there, they're. It's not that they don't care, but they're a little more lenient on what happens there. Right. So if they own a couple farms. You know, and they got one down the road from their house, and the odds are you're going to get permission to hunt that farm because, you know, for one, they, they got crop damage. Right. Number two, they visually can't see you pulling it out, and you're not, you know, an aggravation to them. Right. And, uh, you know, farmers like to have people on their land, uh, not not necessarily just for hunting, but for the aspect of trespassers, and they, they almost need a guy to give them some information, some feedback on what's going on on their piece of land down the road. Right. That's a, a great tip. Dusty, where can we find you when you're not hanging out here in the studios with me? Uh, shoot me an email, dusty at bigbuckregistry.com. You can look me up on Instagram and Twitter at Chasing Antler, facebook.com forward slash chubby tines outdoors. Jay, where can the people reach out to you when you're not on the mic? Likewise, you can shoot me an email, jay at bigbuckregistry.com, and you can visit us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. We're also on Twitter, which is twitter.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. We're also on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash bigbuckregistry, and YouTube, which is youtube.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. On YouTube, you can listen to all of our podcasts in their entirety. As far as videos are concerned, it's a boring video, but the audio content is there, so you can actually listen to our podcast. You can also listen to all of our live shows that we've done on Thursday nights when we do do them, and we've gone back and interviewed, re-interviewed a lot of our previous guests we had on the show just to put a face to a voice, let's put it that way. You can always listen to our show on other places as well, not just YouTube. We're found on Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, and as an Amazon Alexa skill, go to Alexa and say, Alexa, enable Big Buck Registry. And if you would like to submit a buck to our page for consideration and be featured on our page in front of 250,000 diehard deer hunting fans, all you have to do is go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash my buck and all of the instructions will be right there. I think that's pretty much everywhere we're at. I think that's a wrap, Dusty. That's a whole lot of big buck, Jay. Sure is. I'm Jay Scott. I'm Dusty Phillips. And this is the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. 